0: There's a saying, an idiom, a proverb, wise words from generations ago. You can't unring the bell. It has other versions, too, like you can't turn back the clock, you can't unscramble an egg. And they all have the same basic meaning, right? Once something has occurred, it can't be undone. You can't unhear it, unsee it, unknow it. A while back, I was talking to my sister about ideas for podcast episodes. She says, hey, I've got my friend Eve here, too. And we were all joking back and forth. And Eve was super funny. And then she goes, hey, Eve says she can come on your podcast and talk about white privilege. And we all laughed. Ha, 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 ha. But as it turns out, Eve was seriously joking or joking seriously. So I decided to get her to tell me her story.
1: So after we had that meal, here I was, 19 years old and... Finally, I understood that my life would always be swaddled in white privilege, that blanket that covered me as a white person. That was my life, and it always would be.
0: Podcast
1: presented by Sonic Embassy.
0: Episode 16, you can't unring the bell, E versus Herb. White privilege? Welcome to podcast presented by Sonic Embassy and this mini-series we call You Can't Unring the Bell. This series is all about that time, that moment when we heard something or saw something or learned something that totally changed the way we viewed that, whatever it was, from that day onward. Maybe you're glad your eyes were open. Maybe you wish you never did and now it's ruined for you. Either way, there's no control Z and you can't unring the bell. According to the dictionary Merriam-Webster, the first known use of the term white privilege was in the year 1818, defined as the set of social and economic advantages that white people have by virtue of their race and a culture characterized by racial inequality. Anyway, let's get to Eve's story and her eye and brain opening moments.
1: My name is Eve, and I was born in Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, to a large family. I'm the youngest of seven. So um, my dad was the only one in our entire family to go to college. He was an engineer, and my mom worked in the schools as a, she was a kitchen lady. So every every time I changed schools, she followed me because I was the baby. So. I graduated high school, I worked as a tile setter, I cleaned houses, and then I got into the mortgage industry, where I've been for about 31 years. So I grew up just north of Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, in an area that was rural but had been growing, so as more people left the city, people that had money, There were newer subdivisions being built. So it was a lot of old farmland that was getting converted into higher end subdivisions. So my school was pretty diverse. Um, I personally grew up on a farm. I definitely went to school with kids that had way more money than we did. I mean, my dad was college educated and had a good job. He provided for us, but my mom worked and um, we were not well off by any means, but we had what we needed. It's a pretty good life. So outside of the area that I lived, if you went farther north, it was all white. And if you went into the city, then it was still very divided. So on the east side of Milwaukee, which is on the lake, on Lake Michigan, a lot of affluent white families. And then as you move farther west away from the lake, then it was the poorer communities, the minority communities, African-American. or And so Milwaukee was very divided, very segregated. So we were kind of, yeah, we were in our own little bubble there. That was a good mix of people from all backgrounds. That's kind of my background, basically. Uh, So my story, and this was probably over 30 years ago, um, of how I could not unring that bell began with me becoming friends with someone named Byron, who I was going to, uh, I was attending a school for ministers, and he actually was the only male in the entire class. Anyway, so Byron and I got to be friends. And we'd been friends for a few years. And then he had invited me to dinner with uh, some other friends of his who I did not know. I mean, I remember we were in a restaurant for sure. It was a big, long table. There were at least, I would say 12 to 15 of us, um, probably even split between women and men. And I was the only, I was only a white person there. and I don't remember being uncomfortable walking into the restaurant or being uncomfortable being there with all of them. So my sense is probably the restaurant itself maybe was also had a good mix of people. And through the course of dinner, they all kind of started telling stories about how they had experienced discrimination in different ways. You know, some of it was very overt. Um, Some of it was a little more, I don't want to say underhanded, but a little more subtle, but still had a a pretty big impact. That that was kind of when the bell rang for me. I mean, just one of the stories, uh, a young man named David, he went to high school on the east side of Milwaukee. And you kind of have to know that Milwaukee is a very, very segregated city. I think it's probably one of the most segregated cities in this country, and so the neighborhoods are either predominantly white,
0: more so than than as you've traveled in around. The South. And, yeah, as you've traveled around and lived in different places, you still feel like Milwaukee's that hands way? down. Okay,
1: hands down, without a doubt. I mean, I lived in the Charleston area for eight years and never felt I, I was surrounded by, by people of all backgrounds there. But Milwaukee, no, it just, it, it's not like that. I don't know why, I can't explain to you. Now, I grew up um, just outside of the limits of the city of, uh, of or actually of uh, Milwaukee County. And where I grew up, there, it was very diverse. So like my closest friend uh, in my childhood uh, was African-American, you know? And, and so my school was pretty diverse. But once you got any farther out of the city from where I was, was all white and then you got in once you got into the city and in certain areas you know it was all african-american or all white all white along the lake michigan shore obviously right that's you know where all the money was on the lake that's where all the white people lived and then you got once you got past farther west than the freeway then that was where all the african-american communities were so it was very very segregated For sure, yeah. So so David, he went to school at at a school that was predominantly white. And he was in band and one day after school, he had forgotten his instrument and he had to go home to get it and then go back to school for band practice. And he walked and while he was walking, he was stopped by the police. This is a 16, 17 year old kid walking with a band instrument. Headed toward the school, and the police stopped him and asked him what he was doing. I mean, if he was white, you know, they would have driven past him without giving it a second thought. Yeah, he was just walking down the street. The school he went to was in a predominantly white area. He lived in that area, you know, but they but it was predominantly white. You know, what I remember from him tell, you know, telling his experience was that. They didn't understand why he was there. And he said, here's my band instrument. You know, he showed it to them. He said, I go to school at this school and I forgot my instrument and I had to go home and I'm going back for band practice. And it didn't go any farther than that. I mean, they didn't harass him. They didn't, you know, uh, arrest him. They didn't, not, nothing like that. But the fact that they would even stop to question him, I just know that something a white person would never have to deal with you know even if you're not being harassed it's it's still this idea that someone is suspicious of what you're doing when you're absolutely doing nothing nefarious walking down the street with a band instrument i mean how much dorkier can you get than that right so like it just struck me that i lived in a different world i i experienced life a different way because i was white and that was to me, what white privilege really is. So there was another young woman at dinner with us and she shared her experience because she was working in retail. I think it was a grocery store maybe. And she was explaining how people back in those days, a lot of people paid in cash and she would have to give them change. And she mentioned how many people would not hold out their hand to take the change from her. Like they would hand her the money and then they would pull their hand back so that she would have to set the change in front of them on the counter. They didn't want to make physical contact with her because she was African-American. And that kind of, it shocked me and I suppose it shouldn't have. But it made me so sad for her that just because of the color of her skin, someone would do that. It was just so rude to me. Just poor manners in general. And to, to treat another human being like that, it just cru- it crushed me, to be honest. And after that, whenever I was in a store and I was being handed change, I always made to sure, like doubly sure that I physically touched that person so that they would never get that kind of feeling from their experience with me. I mean, it's affected me down to this day, 30 some years later. If it was only white people that did it, you know? I just remember her sharing that story and I just, I was kind of disgusted that that's how people are. I You don't realize it. When you're white, look at, when you're white, the world revolves around you. That's just... It's terrible to say, but that's the world you grow up in. You don't think about those things. And to hear somebody else share that kind of experience, it's something I never would have, something that maybe seems so small, like such a small act had such an impact on her And, and on me when she told the story. I feel like David, what happened to David, that was pretty in your face. Like clearly, they were targeting him or picking him out because of his because he was African American in a predominantly white neighborhood. Whereas the other girl, it was you know a little more subtle, it was something like not touching somebody's hand. That you could say, oh maybe that person was a of Right? You could write it off maybe as something else. But really, at the end of the day, you knew that's not what it was that it, had to, it did have to do with her being African-American and the patron being white. I don't think anyone shared their experience to, um, to bring down the mood or to shock me. There was not a lot of blame or anger or there was some frustration, but it was more like acceptance they all accepted that these experiences were part of their life. And they didn't really expect those experiences to ever be different. And that was kind of sad to me too. It said that the world hasn't changed. And I'm I not mean, talking about people living in, in the North, right? The, the North is supposed to be, I don't know, free from those things, I feel like it's experienced more here than what I I saw in the South even. And not everybody at the table said something either, but those were the two that really stuck in my mind. I mean, obviously here we're talking, I mean, 19, that's almost 35 years ago. So either the other people didn't say anything or it was just, those were the stories that stuck out in my mind for sure. I don't really remember how the conversation turned in that direction necessarily. But I can tell you that it was probably me being curious. Maybe someone just offhandedly mentioned, you know, oh, this happened to me or that happened to me. And I, I might have been the one to, to ask other people at the table, is you know, what is your experience been or what's happened to you? Because I didn't, it wasn't something I experienced. So I didn't know really. And I wanted to understand what experiences they had being in a minority, being, you know, with prejudice and discrimination and all of those things. So my guess is someone might have offhand commented about a situation. And I I probably would have asked because I can tell you since then, I always ask anytime I'm in mixed company, or even if I'm the only one that's white, I ask because I want to understand better how other people experience the world around them. That's just who I am. I ask what kind of things have happened to you, what situations have you been in as an African American or as a minority that you feel you've been discriminated against or, you've, or there's been prejudice. Um, I mean, my I, my nephew, my niece's husband is African American, and I remember sitting down with him and asking him, you know, what kind of stuff have you had to deal with in your life? because of this so I, I don't know I just have always been interested maybe it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and my best friend was African-American and I was so close with her and maybe growing up with her and seeing her struggles sometimes maybe that just made me more I don't know in in tune with that or wanting to know more about that being inquisitive about that that's who I am Reggie. <laughs> I'm gonna ask her I'm a wire why 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 that's what I want to know I'm, that's what I do And after hearing a few of these stories, I thought to myself, this is something I have never had to deal with in my life. And I know it's something I will never have to deal with for the rest of my life because I'm white. And that was when the bell rang. I really started to understand what white privilege meant for me personally that it was like being in a a bubble, almost a protection in this world that isn't afforded so many people.
0: So since then, do you feel like you're more sensitive to it? Are are your eyes always wide open? And do you feel like you're getting something because of your skin color or your hair texture or whatever?
1: I think so. I think there's still a pretty good measure of ignorance on my part I'm going to be honest because when it's all you've ever experienced you don't really look to change the experience right when you when you're the one who's leading the privileged life you don't spend a lot of time thinking about how good you have it that's just that's me being honest about it but it did make me more aware when I'm in the company of other people how I act how I interact with people how I can show concern for them and their experiences and the things that they've been through, I I will never be able to understand it completely because it's not my experience. And I would never want to make an assumption that I understand it because I can't. But I can certainly show compassion or I can show concern or if there's something I can Handle for someone else that will have a better outcome because of my situation, then I'm more than happy to do that.
0: Have you experienced it with your own eyes? I mean, you've heard their stories, but have you witnessed anything since then, now that your eyes are opened?
1: So interestingly enough, I was with your sister and the other girls down in Daytona Beach and one of the girls had parked her car in a parking garage and was worried that she had left her lights on. She was worried about her battery going dead. And I said, well, why don't why don't we just go over to the parking garage and ask them to let us in so that you can check your car to make sure that the light, you know, that the lights aren't turned on. And they all kind of looked at me. Again, I was, I was the only white person in the group. It was Hispanic and African-American. And they looked at me like, they're never going to let us in that parking garage. And I said, OK, let's change drivers and I'll drive. That way, the person at the gate will see me. And so that's what we did. I drove and i asked and they let us in and i mean that was my experience personally like if i i had to use it i had to protect my friends with my white privilege that's how it that's how i feel about it now like i it's like a superpower so i try to use it for good when i can <laughs> and never forget that i have it so that was my personal experience where i think they would not have gotten in if it wasn't you know if i and that it, just doesn't make sense to me still to this day. Those things don't make sense to me, but it's the, it's the world we're living in,
0: so. There's some people who might say that um, white privilege, it's not a real thing.
1: I think the people that feel that white privilege doesn't exist are predominantly white. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think that they're the best people to ask about it. It is real it's real. I don't know how else to say it. My entire life, I've experienced that it's real. And personally, uh, I'm very grateful and very cognizant of the fact that being born white has put me in a position in this world for success. And I don't take that for granted. And I think other people, I have heard people say, well, it isn't white privilege. It's because, you know, I am a hard worker. I'm sorry. So are children in sweatshops in China. They're hard workers too. It doesn't have anything to do with your work ethic. It's your connections, it's your race, it's who you know and how you can get to where you want to be apart from the hard work. So anybody that says this person did something wrong and that's why they were penalized, all you have to do is look at the statistics and the punishment is always more severe for minorities. So it's it's not the act or their actions that determine the outcome necessarily. It's based on their race a lot of times. Facts don't lie.
0: Are you glad the bell's been rung on this or is it more like, yeah, I'd be okay if I never realized any of this stuff?
1: No, I'm very grateful. I've feel a little bit like I wish it had happened earlier in my life. I never felt like the kind of person who was prejudiced or anything like that, but I still think that awareness of other people's experiences, no matter who, who they are or what their background is, it helps us be better human beings. So I am super grateful that that bell was rung and can't be unrung. I don't want to unknow these things at all. Hopefully it makes me a better friend and a better person and a better human being.
0: Well, thank you so much, Eve, and your exceptional yet formidable superpower.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry I can't share it, but I can certainly use it if you ever need it. I'm there. Me and my white privilege are there to help you any way we can. I know. And I'll tell you what, white people, uh, you know, okay, you know, you know more than I do. White people don't think they've got it. It's, it's being oblivious. You know, like you live in your own world, you're couched by these ideas. And it, if you don't expand your life beyond that, you just don't, you just don't know. And I think that's why some people don't think it's real. They just don't know enough. They're ignorant, that's the bottom line. So, no, I'm glad. I'll try and think of a situation I can help you with my superpower, for sure.
0: I know. I'm like, man, what kind of situation can I get in where you can come and save me with your superpower? (laughs)
1: This is it. Actually, you totally missed the point, Reggie. This is it. I am sharing my superpower because who else but a privileged white person could talk about white privilege, right? (laughs) It's true, though. You know it's true. I can talk about it because I'm white and I'm privileged. That's why.
0: Well, again, thank you so much, Eve. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your you can't unring the bell moment with us.
1: Not a problem. You're welcome. See you later.
0: Bye. If you have something that you heard or saw or learned that completely changed your view on it, that you either wish you never learned or maybe like Eve, you're glad, you know, we'd love to hear about it and maybe even have you on as a guest to share your own You Can't Unring the Bell story. Just email us or reach out on any of our social media. So, what do you think? Do you agree that white privilege is real? Uh, do you think it's just social and political nonsense? I'd love to know. My email is studio at sonicembassy.com. And you can also find the Sonic Embassy on Twitter, Facebook, Vero, Patreon, and IG. Our website, sonicembassy.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it because that's the only way we can grow and others can find us in this never-ending sea of podcasts. Hey, that could be your superpower. Use it for good, save me. And if you hated it and you'd rather see this podcast get stopped by the cops, hey, tell everyone you know about this podcast that has no privilege. Thank you so much for listening. I love you, and I hope you'll listen more soon. We've got other mini series you'll probably enjoy, so take a scroll through our recent episodes. The harbor, Sonic. Sonic Embassy.